have the privilege of introducing a new, uh, new series that we're starting. Now, if you remember, uh, if you were here on Resurrection Weekend, we had everybody fill out these cards, and we said, we told you that if you write down the sermons that you want to hear about, at some point we're going to do a sermon series called You Asked For It, and we're, we're there. We're here now. It, we're finally there. We, we, uh, we wanted to give some time. We wanted to do our relationship series. And, and so now here we are. We're starting. I'm kicking off the new series called You Asked For It. And so it's really cool because it's a whole series that's sort of under this umbrella, but none of the sermons are necessarily going to be linked or the same theme. They're not all about relationships or all about this or that. Each one, it might be six, seven, eight weeks or so, and they're all individual messages that you asked for, or at least your peers around you asked for. And so I, uh, I have a fun subject that was assigned to me, and uh, you're going to hear about exactly what that subject is in one moment. I'd like to just begin with prayer and invite you to pray with me, um, because you and I both need the Holy Spirit for this subject to speak to our... <laughs> I know you're doing the listening, I'm doing the talking, but we both need them. And so let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that uh, you had this whole thing in mind. And I thank you that we have, have the privilege to set aside, uh, I think, the rest of the summer to specifically speak towards what the hearts of your people are, are asking and, and desiring to know. And God, we are a people that we want to know what is it that you want for us on these subjects and, and, and situations that we face in this world? We want to know your heart. We want to know what you have for us and how we are to live and love and express you to a world around us. And in regards to the assignment tonight, we just ask that you'd anoint my words, that you would uh, bring to life your written word and, and your voice inside of us through the power of your spirit. I think that you knew every person that was going to be here tonight and every person that's maybe listening on the radio or online, and God, whatever it is that you're, they're facing, struggles, fears, doubts, uh, whatever it is, we believe that you can speak to each individual uh, a specific message, and that you can also speak to all of us together a united message, and so we ask that you do that in Jesus' name, amen. I want to read something for you. Uh, before we jump into the scriptures. He was lying on the floor, writhing in pain. It wasn't his body, but it was his soul that was in turmoil. It wasn't a wound, a cut, or a broken bone that had broken the man, but it was guilt and shame that lay heavy on him. Have you ever felt so much internal pain that you wanted to throw up? He felt that. Along with the guilt and shame, remorse, questions came. How could he have done that? How could he have done those things? How could he let it get that far? He thought, that's not who I am. But guilt said, or is it? Shame continued, maybe that is who you are, and you've been faking it this whole time. The guilt and the shame multiplied. He thought back to that fateful day when it all started, when he found himself looking where his eyes should never have been. Then allowing the lust of his eyes to enliven the desires of his flesh, he knew it was wrong. 
The spirit inside of him begged him to take that thought captive, but he ignored that voice. He pursued his desires. Adultery. Sexual pleasure without God's blessing. But then it was over. A momentary mistake, a lapse in judgment, he thought. I'll confess to God, pray to him alone. Nobody needs to know. But before the prayer could depart his lips, the call came. She was pregnant. His heart sunk. He fell to his knees and the guilt multiplied. What would he do? He was a leader, a spiritual leader. How would he explain this? He hit the point in the internal world, on the internal road of his heart. Do I go right unto confession or left further down the rabbit hole of sin, guilt, and shame? With all of heaven watching and angels screaming from the cosmos to make the right decision, the man of God chose deception and cover-up. Maybe, he thought, I can orchestrate a lavish date between the woman and her husband, and they can do what husbands and wives are supposed to do, and everybody will think the baby is his. But the ploy didn't work. And that arose another moment of decision. You know those moments in life when you war in your soul with the idea of coming clean, confessing, and bringing it all ill to light, and on the other side, the temptation to go further down the rabbit hole of sin and hiding and cover-up. Again, silencing the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of him, he chose to dig further down the rabbit hole. To pursue, to pursue this cover-up would take a good plan. It would take a heart forcibly hardened by the will. The internal silencing of the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of him would rival the work that he had to do on the outside of him. He made up his mind. He made up his heart. He would find a way to end the man's life and take his wife as his own. He succeeded. Murder. The husband was out of the picture. Though there was an immediate sense of relief that maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't be found out, there was an inner sense of guilt and shame that grew all the more. After it was abundantly clear to the Lord that the man would not listen to the spirit inside of him, the Lord saw fit to speak to him through another means, a prophet. The prophet came to the man and revealed that even though nobody else knew, the truth was out. In the cosmos of God's reality, there is never any real cover-up. The truth is always out, finally caught. At that moment, the full release of guilt and shame flooded his spirit, a weight so suffocating that he fell to the ground in remorse and turmoil, finally crying out to the only real source of power to relieve his sin, shame, and guilt. Now, if you know the scriptures, that was, of course, a sort of poetic account of the man of God, King David, and an elaborated version of what might have been going on in his soul. My assignment today that you asked for is to talk about sin, guilt, and shame. It's an interesting sermon series. I've never been a part of one like this before. 
where it's, it's not just us praying and saying, Lord, what should we teach and preach on, which we always do. We don't just pull sermons out of a hat and just think, or what's the church down the street preaching? Let's just do that. It's, you know, we seek the Lord and we say, God, what is your heart for this people at this time? And we try and do our best to listen and, and preach towards that. But this is a unique, this is a unique one for me because here, here I have some votes towards this, a number of different people asking in different ways, sin and shame, guilt and shame, sin and the Holy Spirit, etc. And so I, I started feeling in my heart, well, what is it that the people are really asking for? And I just couldn't help but think it, you're probably not asking just for a theological teaching on what those Hebrew words mean and what the Greek definitions of those things are. My, my thought was that if you're anything like me, you're probably asking, how do we deal on the inside with this war that's happening, and especially for the man or woman of God that desires to follow God and honor God with our whole life, and yet we find ourselves doing things that we don't want to do, and then we find ourselves confessing, and then we, we do it again, and we're wrestling, and we're thinking, I'm a hypocrite before you, God, and I don't, know how to, I don't even know how to approach you and, and pray, and, and how do I deal with this thing on the inside, and, I, and this, sin, this shame and this guilt sometimes is so overwhelming overwhelming and if you don't resonate with that then I don't know maybe this message isn't necessarily for you but my guess is that there's at least some people in here that that's kind of what you're asking and so we're going to turn to the beginning where sin guilt and shame started if you would turn in your bible to Genesis chapter 3 somebody put it like this guilt and shame are twins both born in the garden, just moments apart from one another. As you turn to Genesis chapter three, let me just describe exactly where we're finding ourselves. Here at the beginning of the scriptures, at, of course the beginning there was darkness, there was nothing except for God and God. He chose to do his, his work of creation through a, one means, not building with a hammer or nails. The means of creation, the means of, of bringing life is through his voice. He speaks it. He says, let there be this and let there be this and let there be this. And this is God's, this is God's greatest tool that he has is his voice. There's power in God's voice and so he just speaks and things start coming about he said it's 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 good it's good it's good but hey it's not good until I created man and so he creates man and woman in his own in his own image and he he sets them in the garden and 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 the whole point of it is that God gives us this reality but the point and the the tip of the reality is that God and man are in sort of unhindered perfect relationship with one another I want to read one passage in Genesis 2, and then we're going to jump into to chapter 3, just because it's important to the, the scripture we're reading in 3 that we understand exactly what God commanded them as he set them in the garden. Chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Now I want you to notice, the very first commandment that God ever gave humanity was not a negative don't commandment. I think we miss that sometimes. We think, oh, the first commandment of God is don't eat of it. The first commandment is this. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Primarily, our God is a God of giving and lavishness. I just want you to know that. He's a God that's good and has good things for us. He wants us to enjoy and, and benefit from his creation and all the good things that he has for us. He says, I want you to eat and enjoy of every tree in the garden, but 
Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, I also just want you to take note of the fact that woman actually wasn't even created yet. Because uh, it goes on the next verse to talk about that. So just in case, you know, we get down that road of saying that it was Eve that caused the world to sin, it actually was the man's fault. This points to, to the male's role of leadership in his family. So it, God gave him the commandment, not the woman. So we'll just leave that right there. Let's turn to chapter 3. <laughs> This is God's creation. This is God's first and second commandment to us. Man and woman are now there in the garden in perfect relationship with God, and this is what happens. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that God had made. If you don't understand, maybe haven't read too much of the scripture, the serpent here represents the evil one, the devil, or Satan. Now, as we walk through this passage, I'm going to preach a little different than I normally do. I'm, going to, I'm just going to kind of preach as I read this scripture, if that's okay, because there's so much wealth and, and goodness in here. I, I just want to invite you, as I'm, as I'm reading this, that you would really listen to God's word, that you pay attention to it, because I, I really think that this passage offers uh, so much layer upon layer of insight in many, many different areas of our life that would be greatly beneficial towards us and our situation that we're in. It, it describes the process that the evil one typically uses to lead us unto sin. It describes how it is that the, the human heart and mind deals with these situations. It describes the outcome of our actions and what we, we typically do. And I think you might resonate with, with some of the processes in here. And so just kind of listen for those things as we're walking through this. So the serpent shows up. And it says this, he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I want you to notice that the, the devil didn't start by just speaking an all-out lie. That's actually not how he usually works. He starts by asking a provoking question, trying to plant the seed of doubt towards God's, God's goodness in their life. He didn't just show up and say, hey, God's a liar, he's bad, and, and he, he told you a lie, and just follow me. No, no. He said, did God really say to you? And then he speaks a lie of what God actually said. He just twisted it just a little bit. Did God really say to you that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but God did say, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it which is actually not what God said. And I personally think that this speaks towards the, 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 uh, the proclivity of humanity to, to add to God's commandments, to, to once doubt starts arriving in your heart and starts growing, this little seed of doubt, it gets you thinking, oh yeah, maybe, maybe God doesn't want the best for me, and all he wants to do is take away the good things that maybe I really want. So, so the evil one speaks this question that just sort of poses this doubt in her heart. And then she, she says, no, God said we can eat of the trees, but, but we can't eat of that one and we can't touch it. So then he goes even further and he tells three truths and a lie. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him knowing good 
and evil. Three truths and a lie. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took it, she took its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate, and notice he said nothing of the commandment that God gave him. The point in me saying that is not to blame one gender over the other. The point is that we're all in this together. They both equally ate. And this was the entrance of this thing called sin into the world. The eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now before we continue, I just want to address exactly what sin is for a moment. This is the, this is the birthplace of sin. Sin, just at its very most foundational definition, would be to miss the mark. That's sort of the etymology of the word, is to miss the mark. But it's, it's obviously so much more than that. It's, it's this general, if I could put it like this, Connor had a term for it uh, when he preached a few months ago, was the, the basic distrust of God. And I, I'd like to continue on with that, that, that really the way that God created was through his voice, and the way that God primarily interacts with humanity is through his voice. That when God spoke to them, that everything that he spoke to them was for their good and for his glory at the same time. And I, by the way, I also think that that's true of any of God's commandments. That, that when you think of the things that God wants you to, to do or not do in your world, just know that God doesn't pose arbitrary commandments for us just to see if you'll obey him. No, no, no. Everything that he commands of us is for our good and for his glory. When he says, I want you to save the sexual experience for the marriage bed, it's actually better for us that we do it that way. And all the young people said amen. Look, it's better for us when we we obey God. I used to think as a young person that God's just this cosmic killjoy and he just wants to take away all my fun. That's not who God is. Following God is a better way of life in every way. He doesn't give us arbitrary commandments. He gives us commandments that are better for us, but they're also for his glory. And so sin at its very root is a decision to say, God, I'm not going to trust your voice I'm going to trust either something or somebody else's voice or my own. It's a decision to say, God, you are not actually for me or you don't have my best in mind. There's something good that you're holding out on me. This is what the sermon said. Did God really say to you, oh, he's holding out. He knows. He knows that if you eat of that one, you're going to be like him. He doesn't want anybody to be like him. By the way, this is the, the, the sin that made Lucifer fall from heaven himself. He was, he was the church, chief worshiping angel, but he thought in his heart, I want to ascend to the high throne like God. The very essence of what sin is, is a heart that says, God, I want to sit on the throne of my life and not have you there. Now, the second thing I want to point out about sin is that we oftentimes look to the symptoms of sin instead of the disease of sin, and we point to those things and say, that's what sin is. And I really think that this is important. Sin is not the things on the outside primarily. 
So stealing, cheating, murder, adultery, all of the things on the outside. It's like when you're sick and you have a runny nose and a sore throat and a cough, the runny nose and the sore throat and the cough are not your sickness. Right? They're the symptoms of your sickness. They're the outward expression of the nastiness that's going on in the inside. We need to understand that sin is not just the outward action. The outward action is a, is a reflection of the inward disease. And so for the, for the unsaved person, that is the person in the room or listening online that is not walking in restored and reconciled relationship with God, you need to know this, that it's not just the outward action and that if you can correct the outward action or somehow manipulate your mind into not doing that thing through practice on the outside, that doesn't heal the issue on the inside. The issue on the inside is a sin nature. It's a disease that needs to be healed from the inside out and that can only happen through God. That can only happen through the Holy Spirit healing us on the inside, not us retraining our actions on the outside. Okay? So we just, we just need to make sure that we're on the same page of what sin actually is. What are the results of sin? I just want to point this out. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says this. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. The ear, his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But listen to this. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This is a one verse, but a description of what sin does in our lives. It separates us from God. Now, I don't have a ton of time to talk uh, too much about this, but I can just say it like this. There's a sort of a macro version of that and a micro version of that. That is to say that in eternity, every single one of us is separated from God until we receive him in faith and we receive the gift of salvation. Okay? So our sin, our sin nature has separated every human from God. If you have not received him through faith, you, you are currently living separated from God, both now and for eternity. But the great news is that God's gift unto us is a gift of reconciliation and restoration of relationship. And we have to receive that through faith. And he restores us that that separation no longer exists. Now the second, the micro version of that would be, say for all of the believers in the room, those that are already in Christ, we're in relationship with God, but we all know that experience when we, when we choose to sin after being in relationship with God, we still feel that sense of separation because that's the nature of what sin is. Now, I just wanna tell you, that doesn't mean that you're now unsaved, that doesn't mean that you're not going to heaven when you sin, it, but it does mean that you might feel that separation, and that separation actually in our own minds make us, makes us begin to feel like enemies of God, and I just want, I just want us to be, be aware that this is the process of what sin does in the human soul, because God didn't design us to live with his presence inside of us and the presence of sin at the same time. Okay? We should probably keep reading. <laughs> sin enters the world, and just like Adam and Eve, sin has entered all of our hearts at one time or another. At one time or another, we've all said, God, I don't trust you, and I want to run my own life. Yep. Now, I know that most people in this room have, have turned and repented from that attitude and said, God, I, I confess to you that this, this sin is in me, and I, and I step off the throne, and I put you there, and I want you to run my life. But when we sin, there's these things that come about in our soul. It says that they, they realized their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked. 
And so I want you to notice, what's the process here? Once you realize that you've sinned against God, you, you, you have a revelation that you did that. This is what they did. They sewed fig leaves together and they made loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Take note of the fact that the first two things that they did after revelation of sin and separation is that they tried to cover themselves and they hid from the, the one that they should never have hidden from. They tried to cover themselves and they hid from God. Isn't this what we do? We try and cover ourselves up. The biblical word for that is atonement. They tried to atone or cover themselves and, and hide, hide their, their, their guilt and their shame and try and, try and cover it so, so people wouldn't know about it. And then when God shows up, they hide from him as if you can ever hide from the living God. But notice in contrast to a heart that says, I recognize that I'm naked now, that I did what I shouldn't have done. My eyes have been opened to evil. Instead of running straight back to the heart of God and saying, wow, Lord, we, I'm so sorry. We made this mistake. We should have listened to you. They, they didn't do that. They took a left and they covered themselves and hid. But God called to the man and said to him, This is the first question that God ever asked in the Bible. Where are you? As if God didn't know. Oh, this is is beautiful. Of course God knew where they were. God's first question ever posed to humanity, where are you? It's not that he didn't know where they were. He wanted to see if they were ready to confess to him where they were. Where are you today? They said, I heard the sound, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Notice that sin brings about covering of ourselves, hiding from God, fear, guilt, and shame. We were afraid because we are naked and I hid myself. Second question God asks, who told you that you were naked? Who told you that? In other words, what voice have you been listening to? Who told you that? Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that I didn't have your best in mind? Who told you that religion was boring? Who told you that it was stupid to be a Christian? Who who told you that? Who told you that you were ugly? What voice? Who told you that you, what voice are you listening to? This is the chief question. What voice are we listening to? Hear now. Let your voice be all I hear now. That should be our prayer every day, that we would shut out the voice, any other voice, and only listen to the voice of God. Who told you that, he asks. Who told you that you're naked? Third question. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Again, he knew the answer. Looking for a humanity that would confess to the answer. Have you eaten of the tree? I get this. Sin comes into the world and he immediately brings 
this desire to cover yourself, to hide, to be afraid of God, the only one that's good. And then it brings this desire to pass off blame. The man said, the woman, oh, not just the woman, but the woman you gave me. It's her fault or it's your fault, one of the two. You gave her to me. The woman you gave me gave me the fruit and I ate it. (laughs) Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? Fourth question, what is this that you've done? And the woman said, the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Sin gives birth to desires to cover ourselves, hide from God, be afraid of God, and then blame everybody else. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But I know that my assignment is to specifically address guilt and shame. And so I want to talk about that. Surely what they were feeling in that moment was primarily a recognition of what had happened and guilt sets in. A recognition of sin in our life brings about guilt. Now I think that guilt is actually, in a sense, a good thing based on what it turns into. I actually think that guilt is sort of like a butterfly, that guilt is is actually going to become one of two other things. Guilt, Guilt, based on what it's going to turn into, is either a really, really good thing, or if it turns into something else, it's a really, really bad thing. Now, biblically speaking, guilt gives birth to either shame or to godly sorrow. Now, there's more scriptures that I I could read, and you can email me if you want them. I just don't have time. I'm running out of time, but let me just just believe the preacher for a moment. There's scriptures all about this, right? So, (laughs) I mean, believe the preacher for all of it, but. So, guilt, guilt is the internal feeling that something is wrong. You did something wrong. Okay? Guilt says you did something wrong or you did something bad. Now, if we allow it to, if, if, we, if we're scared of, of God or we turn from God or we're hiding, we're in the, the place in our heart of hiding from God, what that guilt can turn into is shame, which doesn't just say you did something bad. Shame says you are bad. And shame takes us down this nasty rabbit hole of now it's getting into identity issues. And, and we, we, we are further and further separated from God because even in our own minds, the Bible talks about because of your sin, you make God your enemy in your mind. And so guilt gives birth to shame, which separates us further from God. But if we, 
if we rebuke those thoughts that they had and that we all have in that moment of sin, if we rebuke the thought that says, I'm going to cover myself, I'm going to hide from God, I'm going to blame everybody else, if we rebuke that in that moment, we say, God, I'm going to allow this guilt to turn into godly sorrow, then that's going to give birth to repentance, which is saying, I'm going to turn away from the path I've been going on, and I'm going to turn to you. As naked and and as dirty as I am, I'm going to choose to believe that you are good, and that when I come to you and bring all things to light, you are so good that you will bring healing to my life. And so guilt can lead us either towards further shame or towards repentance and this place of freedom. And I would say that guilt is a good thing because another word for it would be, it's sort of like the beginning of conviction. It's a biblical word. If you don't have or ever feel any conviction in your life, that's a very scary place to be. First of all, because I think we'd all agree that we all sin, even those of us that are in relationship with God, we all have sin at times in our life. Okay, so in, unless you're perfect, it means that you should feel conviction at least sometime. Now I think that that's really, really important because in Romans chapter one, it describes that the wrath of God against humanity is, is him allowing our hearts to be calloused, therefore not feel that conviction any longer because what conviction is, is the voice of the Holy Spirit still getting through to us. And that is something that we should want. We should want the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now I wanna bring this back around to the struggling hearts in the room because I know what it feels like to be a believer, to be a person that wants to honor God. You want to walk in his way, but you do sin in one way or the other. And you feel that guilt. And you don't want to hide from him. You don't, it's not like it's your heart to cover up and hide and and run from God, but probably what you're feeling is you're all of a sudden feeling like a hypocrite. You're all of a sudden feeling like, I, I told you last week when I prayed, I didn't ever want to do it again. I said I was never going to do that again. And then you found yourself doing it again, and so that, that guilt just converts into shame and dread in your heart. I know that feeling. We all have our symptoms, Right? Now, God has us on this path of sanctification, and of course, we, we always need to continue to turn to him when we're growing in a relationship with God, but at some time or the other, we all, we all make mistakes and we, and we sin. And so I just, if you find yourself caught in those patterns where the guilt and the shame of, of what you've done, what you've committed, it just so overtakes you, I just want to remind you that there's, there's really only one biblical and godly solution, and it's the same solution from the very beginning to the thousandth time you do it, or, or whatever it is, and that's, that's not running from God. That's not allowing that voice of guilt and shame and identity, and whether it's the evil one or you or whatever, not allowing that voice to get you to turn further from God, but saying, God, I'm going to turn back to you. I'm gonna return to you once again, confess to you 
say, Lord, apart from you and the work of your spirit in my life, I am a wretched person. But I'm gonna choose to believe your voice. And the covenant that we get to live in right now, that he spoke over us, his voice, says, I'm gonna deposit my Holy Spirit in you and he will lead you into all truth. He will lead you into all truth. I want to read a psalm for you. Psalm 51. Matter of fact, if you just would stand to your feet with me as I read this, this is this is a psalm that David himself wrote right after his great sin. And if maybe you didn't know the story of this poetic thing I was reading at the beginning, this is King David, the man of God, the man after God's own heart. The man who had been such a mighty warrior for God, a loyal servant of God, a worshiping shepherd and a leader of the people that found himself on his rooftop when he should have been out at war found himself in the place that he shouldn't have been. As a leader, he should have been out leading the troops, but he was on the rooftop and he sees a woman. And he took her, got her pregnant, tried to cover it up, had her husband killed. And eventually Nathan the prophet had to come and rebuke him. And I can just imagine, of course there was, I took some liberty with that thing that I wrote, but can't just imagine a person after God's own heart, what guilt and shame must have been inside of his soul. And he pens this. God, have mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. Would you just close your eyes as I read this? Just allow the Holy Spirit to just minister this to you. Maybe, maybe you're not really listening. Maybe you're just praying this along with David. God, give me mercy from your fountain of forgiveness. I know your abundant love is enough to wash away my guilt. Because your compassion is so great, take away this shameful guilt of sin. Forgive the full extent of my rebellious ways. And erase the deep stain on my conscience. For I'm so ashamed I feel such pain and anguish within me. I can't get away from the sting of my sin against you, Lord. Everything I did, I did it right in front of you and you saw it all against you. And you above all have I sinned. Everything you say to me is infallibly true. And your judgment conquers me. Lord, I've been a sinner from birth. From the moment my mother conceived me, I know that you delight to set your truth deep in my spirit. So come into the hidden places of my heart and teach me wisdom. Purify my conscience. Make this leper clean again. Wash me in your love until I'm pure in heart. Satisfy me in your sweetness and my song of joy will return. The places within me you have crushed They will rejoice with your healing touch. Hide my sins from your face. Erase my guilt 
by your saving grace. Create in me a clean heart within me. Fill me with pure thoughts, holy desires, ready to please you. May you never reject me. May you never take your spirit from me. Let my passion for life be restored, tasting joy in every breakthrough you bring me. Hold me close to you with a willing spirit that obeys whatever you say. Then I can show other guilty ones how loving and merciful you are. They will find their way back home to you knowing that you will forgive them. Oh God, my saving God, deliver me full from every sin, even the sin that brought blood guilt. Then my heart will once again be thrilled to sing the passionate songs of joy and deliverance. Lord God, unlock my heart, unlock my lips, and I will overcome with joyous praise. For the source of your pleasure is not in my performance or my sacrifices. The fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow down at your feet because you favor Zion. Do what is good for her. Be the protecting wall around Jerusalem. And when we are fully restored, you will rejoice and take delight in every offering of our lives as we bring you sacrifices of righteousness before your love.